This program has been brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. Well, praise God. I want to ask you a question. How do you view God? Do you somehow think of God as way up in heaven, watching you down here, always disappointed, and somehow do you feel like there's a disconnect between you and God? Now, I want to ask you this question, and this may be hard for you to think about, but you might do this. Some people do this. Do you view God being up in heaven, distant, and somehow God the Father is against you? He's full of wrath. He's stern. He's hard to please. And possibly, do you view Jesus keeping God off your back? Now, I know that sounds strange, but I've had people tell me that somehow they see Jesus as benevolent. Jesus as loving. Why? Because of the cross. But somehow it's like God the Father they see as harsh, stern, and standoffish. Well, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all one. You say, what is God like? Look at Jesus and you'll know what God is like. And so that's what I want to think about this morning. The title of this message is Expensive Grace expensive grace. Some people have a wrong view of God because of wrong teaching from the past. They've been under a form of teaching whereby they see God as someone they can't get close to. They haven't heard much teaching on the grace of God and the work of the Spirit of God in the soul of man. And so for years, they find themselves going to church and their pastor faithfully teaches them salvation messages birth truths. But the truth is this, once you're saved, once you're born again, it's time to grow. You can move on from the birth truths and walk and grow in the growth truths. But many churches across our land for many years, the pastors themselves do not know the growth truths of the Bible. You say, well, how can that be? It's for a myriad of reasons. And so I've had people tell me, Chris, I love my pastor. He preaches the message. He preaches the cross. He preaches the blood of Christ. But somehow I feel like I'm always coming to Jesus, but I don't ever get there. I want to try to deal with that in this message this morning. I want to talk this morning about the parable of the prodigal son. You see, how we view our earthly father shapes up how we view our Heavenly Father. There's no way around that. It just happens. The parable of the prodigal son is essentially the story of a father and a story of the father's love. Every parable in God's Word, really, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see this parable, and I want you to see the heavenly meaning. You see, back in Old Testament times, God revealed himself by means of his names, Elohim, Jehovah, Adonai, El Shaddai, and other names. And back in those Old Testament days, God was distant from the people. I mean, they saw him in his Shekinah glory, hovering above the tabernacle. They saw him in the pillar of fire. It was all distant And they saw him act in some very hard ways 
with some of their enemies and even in among the children of Israel. And so that shaped up how they view God, that God was distant. He was out there, and you better not mess up, or he may just rain down fire from heaven and make you disappear. That was the view that people had of God. But then Jesus came. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Jesus came. You say, well, what is God like? My friend, look at Jesus. Look at the Gospels. Listen to this message this morning. If you want to know what God the Father is like, you're going to hear it clearly this morning. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You have to really think about the cross. When you think about the cross, you think about all that happened prior to the death of Jesus Christ was a foreshadowing of what was to come and what was to happen. And so all of those things that I've mentioned about God the Father in the Old Testament, they're all true. But things changed the moment God's Son said, My God, my God, that distant God, that God that seemed so harsh in so many ways in His perfection. Things changed, my friend, when He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen, at that moment, He was your substitute. He was dying in your place, and all that God's wrath demanded was satisfied in the crucifixion of His Son, Jesus Christ. So a lot of times what we feel inside of this distant God is wrong thinking and it's not scriptural. Jesus bridged that gap between God and man by shedding his precious blood on the cross as the atonement for our sins. There's no more need for the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, and all those things that we read about in Scripture, and sometimes we're fascinated about. We don't have to do those things anymore. Why? Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, has already died, and now we're on this side of the cross. Amen? We're no longer under law. We're under grace. And listen, the Old Testament law, my friend, is not a rule for living. You say, should we not obey the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. But in and of yourself, you can't. But the one who lives inside of you obeys the Ten Commandments through you as you abide in Him. All that the law demanded was met in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished. We live under grace. But these wrong views of God has caused many people to wander away from the church. And many people who used to have a sweet fellowship have wandered away because they think, somehow I just can't connect with God. But I want to remind you, and I don't say this tritely, you cannot out the grace of God. That's what Paul said in Romans 5.20, where he said, where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound. You say, well, how could Paul say that? What you're saying, Chris, is where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. In other words, you're saying I can't out-sin the grace of God. Listen, if you could, we'd all die and go to hell. You say, well, how can you say that? You have to think from an eternal perspective, my friend. Think about this. God is eternal. There's no beginning with God and there will be no end. But in eternity... In the mind of God, 
he looked down at what we call time, this short history on earth. And he said, son, go to this earth, down a cross for the sins of these people so that I can have a relationship and fellowship with them. And Jesus said, yes, sir. He came down, took on human flesh, and he died out with all of our sins on the cross. In your mind and in my mind, we think of this only in time. Chris, that happened about 2,000 years ago. That's correct. But in the mind of God, he doesn't really distinguish between time and eternity. He sees it all from an eternal perspective. No beginning, no end. It's all present tense with God. So when Jesus died on the cross, how many sins did he die for? All of them in God's eyes, past, present, and future for all eternity. Jesus didn't do a halfway job. And listen, he's not still on the cross dying for our sins. My friend, he's already completed that. And in the mind of God, it is finished. And in the mind of God, provision has been totally made. So if that's God's way of seeing things, that must be your way of seeing things. And that must be what is taught. So therefore, when Paul said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You saying, Chris, when I sin... You're saying that uh, grace covers it? Absolutely. When I sin again and again, does grace absolutely cover it? It absolutely covers it. You say, well then, I might want to do some things that are wrong because sin covers it. If that's your thinking and your desires, you need to back up and question your salvation. Your desire as a child of God is to never, ever sin again. Never sin again. But which one of us has not sinned since we were saved? All of us have, some more than others. But all of us have sinned since we were saved. But listen, grace covers it all. I'm not preaching Christian perfection, and I'm not preaching being light on sin. Not at all. What I'm doing is magnifying the grace of God. I'm magnifying the cross, what really happened. What happened at the cross, my friend, is not cheap grace, it's expensive grace. Many people have a cheap view of the cross. I've got an expensive view of the cross. It all rests on the Son of God. And so, you can know this, God's arms are still open wide, not only for non-Christians, but also for saints who sin. You see, God is always moving towards us. We're the ones that move away from Him, not losing our relationship, but feeling guilty and avoiding this God that seems disconnected with us. You see, we defile our conscience when we sin. We don't lose our salvation, though emotionally sometimes it feels like we're lost or lost our salvation. I believe this is the picture of the prodigal son in this most loved parable. You see, the son went to a far country, and then he came to his senses, he went back home. Listen, if you're not a child of God, you can't go back to what you didn't come from. You see, it wasn't that the son was lost, the son was found. You see, back in that day when they would say, lost, my son is lost, it's the same as today. 
if you had a Jewish boy and he converted to Christianity in some families to this very day, they say, my son's dead. He's gone. They even have a funeral for him, though he's not dead. They just dismiss him. And so you have to think about the language here, and you have to think about the culture. So with that in mind, I want us to look at this parable. And what I want to do in this parable, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this prodigal. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, that's not me. Uh, I haven't done those things. I haven't, I've never been with a prostitute. I've never lived a righteous life. This is what I want you to think. You may be Mr. and Miss Squeaky Clean here this morning. But there's something, maybe it's gossip. Uh, Maybe you control people with a silent treatment. Do you know that's wicked and evil? Maybe you're sarcastic in your speech. Maybe you withhold love from your children and other people until they do what you want them to do, and then you give them a little bit. That is sin. Amen? We need to be as free as God is, because that God lives in us. So with that in mind, turn to Luke chapter 15. I want to look verses 11 through 24. Luke chapter 15. Now, you know what's happened here. There's a young boy. He thinks he knows everything. He doesn't realize his dad has forgotten probably more than what he'll ever know. And he says, Father, I want you to give me uh, my portion of my inheritance. I want you to go ahead and give it to me. And then we know that he went to a far country And he squandered it with righteous living. And the next thing you know, he finds himself without money. And all those friends he spent that money on, they're nowhere to be found now. And so there he is. He finds himself slopping hogs for a Gentile hog farmer. That's the worst position that a Jewish boy could be in. And so the Bible says that he came to his senses and he said this, What am I doing here? I'm going to go back to my father. In other words, he took his inheritance He spent it, he's in need, and he says, I'm crazy. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm just going to hire on as a servant. At least I'll have something to eat and a bed to sleep in. But of course, we know what happens. When the father saw his son a long way off, what did he do? He ran to him. Listen, this is a picture of God the Father, I believe. You say, Chris, what's God like? He's not distant. It's not a pillar of cloud in the sky. It's not what burned above the mercy seat. That's Old Testament, my friend. Jesus has died. All that typology was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You say, well, God's holy and pure, and don't you knock that, Chris. I'm not knocking it at all. He's every bit of that, and we need to be more reverent in the things of God. This generation has gone too far with irreverence, but I am saying this. Jesus Christ brought God near to man by his precious blood. We are under grace. Now, that's the picture here, and I want you to picture yourself in the prodigal shoes, whether you're an alcoholic or whether you like to whisper and gossip and use sarcasm. Whatever your hog pen is, I want you to think about it this morning. Now, number one, if you're taking notes, number one, the prodigal's discontentment. The prodigal's discontentment, verse 11 and 12. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his, notice, his livelihood. He gave his possessions away to him. Now, this is a picture of you and me 
When we choose not to lose our relationship, that's impossible. But when we choose something else that we love more than God, it breaks our fellowship with God. We enter into a downward spiral that only gets worse. You say, well, I've never missed church. Listen, you can be a prodigal and never miss church. This has to do with fellowship here, my friend. And so we find ourselves discontent with the way things are. We begin to compare ourselves with other Christians. You may tell you what hurts the church more than anything is when Christians begin to compare themselves with other Christians and try to outdo one another. That is wrong because we're equally all one in Christ Jesus because of the cross. We should not compare ourselves with one another. We should compare ourselves with Jesus, who is the standard. We should all be comparing ourselves with that. And so we become discouraged. We become discontent. We compare ourselves with other people. We begin to feel like we don't measure up. And so we find ourselves going away from God's care and loving desire for our life and trying to get these needs met and these desires met in some other way other than God's way. Sometimes we view the Christian life as a prison. I would say in the day in which we presently live in America, I would say 60-70% see the Christian life as restrictive. It's not restrictive, my friend. It's the most liberating thing on this earth. It has to do with who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. You see, we truly believe that living according to God's plan for us is limiting us instead of allowing us to have a limitless life, living life on a higher plane. It's hard not to be enticed by all that this world has to offer. For some, it may be loose living. For some, it may be wealth and security. For some, hunting and fishing. For some, sports. Trying to relive your younger days through watching sports like the Super Bowl and those type things. This is what I'm saying. You may not be an alcoholic or a drug user or something that we think of as so bad. But listen, all of us have some kind of a hog pen. Anything that becomes number one in your life and replaces God is your idol and puts you in a hog pen. And I believe this is what this parable is talking about. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, do you remember Eve's temptation? Listen to this. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be what? Like God. Listen to me. Deep down inside, our biggest temptation really is we deep down, we want to be worshipped. That is a big problem for us. In a sense, we want to be like God. It's an age-old temptation that we all still struggle with. And this is what we see in the prodigal son. He was discontent with all that the father had provided. Do you know this man was rich? This son and his elder brother, which I'm speaking on the elder brother tonight. You don't want to miss tonight's message. That spirit of the elder brother tonight. They were wealthy. He left all this. He took some of the wealth and left the fortress. He left all that he needed. It. He left it all, thinking something out there. I need something out there more than what I have. And so the prodigal was discontent. He's basically, he's taking for granted what he has always had. Listen, you know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of a child of God 
not realizing that he's been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's in Christ. Christ is in him. But he so has a cheap view of it all and a cheap view of the cross. He doesn't realize what he has. And so he's looking to this world and this world system to satisfy him like Eve was looking to that fruit saying, yeah. We're doing the same things in a thousand different ways, looking for something else to satisfy us that only God can satisfy. We're discontent, overeating, shopping, amusements, legal and illegal drugs. You know what this prodigal did? This prodigal shut himself up in a prison of his own indulgence. See, many Christians say, I just feel straight-jacketed with today's church. And a lot of times they attack the church and methods and all these type things. But really underlying, there's a root problem, and it's called rebellion. It's what it is. They feel straight-jacketed. They feel held back. And so they rebel and run off and want to do something different. There is no way that's of God. And so the question for me and for you is this. This discontent of the son with his father, with all that his father had on the farm, this discontent, are you and I the same way with our heavenly father? Are we discontent with his word? Are we discontent with the indwelling Holy Spirit? Are we discontent with the fellowship of believers? Are we just discontent? Do we not realize what we have in Christ Jesus? Have we forgotten what it cost God, the Father, sending His Son, Jesus, to the cross? Have we forgotten all of this? Is there anything that we desire more than God? You say, probably so in my life. Then listen, that is your hog pen. That's your hog pen. You see, it starts with discontent, but then it moves on to determination. Number two, the prodigal son's determination. Look at uh, verse 13 here. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. You see, he was discontent with the riches that he had. And then he determined, I'm going to leave. Discontent, determination, I'm going to leave. He was determined to be free from his father's control. When he asked for his share of the estate, you can know he was determined to leave. His mind was made up. But I want you to notice something. Notice how the father gives him what he asked for. He knows that his son has made up his mind. This is exactly how God will allow you and me to break, not relationship, you can't lose that, to break fellowship with him. God will allow you to do that, my friend. If you want to go after this service down to Tunica and blow $10,000, I guarantee you, you'll drive all the way there. Your car won't break down. You will not have a flat tire, and you'll, you will lose that 10000 and God will not stop you. He won't. You say, Chris, does God desire me to do that? Absolutely not. But I can tell you this. This is what God knows. He knows everything. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Think about this. And you families who have children, there comes a time, Dobson calls it tough love. And it's the same thing for a pastor to the flock. This is what I know. If you say, fully on the church, I'm out of here. 
This is what I know. Number one, I'm going to pray for you. But number two, listen, this world, flesh, and the devil is going to knock you down over and over and over. And I'm not going to have to say a word. I'm not going to try to make you feel guilty to make you come back. I'm not going to beg and plead with you. I'm going to nourish the sheep that are here. But this is what I know. Eventually, you'll come back. You know why? It's hard out there without God. See, we are citizens of heaven. We're peculiar people. This is not our home. We're ambassadors from heaven to this earth to lead people to Christ. This is what I know. And I've got someone close to me that's in this place. The world itself and what the world offers will take you down every time. This is my responsibility. And as members of this church, this is your responsibility. When they come to their senses, this is what they need to see. Not this. We're going to talk about this tonight. Don't miss it. The prodigal's determination. You see, the truth is our willful sin by its very nature ruins our lives. And God's restraints upon us are not for discomfort. It's for our protection. What what you feel like when, when you feel like, I just feel like the church, the Bible, the preaching, I just feel like this. What you're feeling, it's not God and His Word and His Spirit that makes you feel that way. It is your flesh desiring to have its own way. That's what's frustrating you. And it's rooted, my friend, in rebellion. You see, the prodigal son walked away from the very things he was seeking, not knowing he already had them. You see, the Christian has been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. But aside from salvation, the deepest need that every person faces and has is to regard himself as a worthwhile person. In order to see myself as a worthwhile person, there are two elements that must be present in my life. And it is security and significance. I need to have significance. I need to have security. I must have a purpose in life that is important enough for me to feel that my life counts for something. I must have the security of being loved and accepted by someone who's important to me. You see, the prodigal son had all of this, but he was discontent and he was determined and therefore he could not see what he had right there at home. Question is this, what about you? Are you looking to get away to something that will not last and cannot satisfy something maybe other than God? So the prodigal, and remember, that's all of us in some fashion or form. We, we would all have to admit to it that we are now, have been prodigals. He became discontent, and then he became determined to gather all that was his and leave. And now we see the third thing is the prodigal's destination. Look at uh, the second part of the verse 13. He journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You see, this is when we're, we're discontent. I just don't lie. I'm, I'm tired of the church. I'm just discontent. And then we become determined. You know what? I'm going to begin to make a plan. I'm getting out of here. And then there comes the destination. You see, this is where we leave the fortress. Safety and provision. And enter into the prison, a far country or a hog pen. Remember, 
This hog pen is different for all of us. But we must remember that anything that has become number one in our life is our hog pen. Anything that dims your view of God, anything that makes the Christian life seem difficult to you, you can know this. You've lost your focus. You've lost the fact of your riches in Christ. You've lost your focus and how you view God in things. You see, somehow the prodigal thought there was more freedom the farther he got away from his father. And could it be that he was trying to ease his guilt that he felt? Maybe this nagging conscience that he had, he, deep down he knew he was wrong, but somehow if I go way out there and get away, west of maybe the Sea of Galilee somewhere, maybe uh, I'll get away from these feelings that I have and I'll be free. Or you could say that about California. Or you could say that about New York City. You could say that about any number of places where you think, if I could just get away from this sleepy town, boy, if I could just get there, I know things are going to be better. No, it's not. Remember, you take yourself with you wherever you go. You'll continue to struggle. And so what happens is this. In the Christian life, we find ourselves, there's something number one in my life except God. You begin to get a dim view of God, a wrong view of God. You begin to see Him as against you. You forget all the riches that you have in Christ Jesus. You become discontent and you're determined and then you, you start thinking of a way, something to satisfy you. Next thing you know, you're not going to read your Bible. You're not going to pray. Why? Because when I read my Bible, I feel so guilty. When I pray, it's like God says, but look, you got to deal with this first before you can move forward. I don't want to deal with that yet, Lord. It's number one in my life. I want to drive the car of my life. And then you begin to forsake the gathering of the brethren together. The Bible tells us not to forsake the gathering of the brethren together in Hebrews 10.25. And listen to me. I love you, so listen. Then you begin to seek out Christian friends who are like-minded. Instead of saying, what does God's Word say? We begin to seek out an environment, someone who believes the way I believe. Why? As a good friend of mine says, to validate my own sin and rebellion. But it didn't last. It never does. Think about it in our country. Look at the divorce rate in our country. Look at the psychiatric wards. Counseling offices are full of prodigals looking to be free, finding themselves in prisons of their own choosing, many of them rejecting the church still instead of realizing, you know what? Not everybody in the church is perfect. People are lost that faithfully come to church. People are carnal that faithfully come to church. Less and less we're seeing spirit-filled men, women, boys, and girls. I understand the discontent, but I still know that the Bible says we're not to forsake the gathering of the brethren together. Number four, the prodigal's discouragement. The prodigal's discouragement. Look at verses 14 through 16. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. This is the last step, my friend, before destruction. He now faces destruction or deliverance. Maybe you can identify this in your own life. There's just like there's this disconnect 
between you and God. And, and maybe there's something that has become number one in your life. And, and you feel like, you know, if something doesn't change soon, you know, I'm just going to give up on it all. Think about it. All those friends that he said he had made or thought he had made, they're all gone now. It was all superficial. Maybe many years ago, you made a decision. You put something or someone as number one in your life. And it's not that you don't love God. It's just somehow you've just drifted like someone who unties a boat from a dock. You don't see anything happening at first, but you look back an hour later and it's drifted out about 10 feet. Look at it another hour later and it's 50 feet. Next thing you know, it's in the middle of the lake. You say, how did that happen? Just a little bit at a time. Maybe you find yourself, that's where you are. Maybe you haven't seriously prayed in many years. Maybe you've started avoiding other Christians. And maybe you have become critical of other Christians. Why? Listen, the reason you do that is because when they're trying at least, and when at least they're moving forward, maybe their lives make you feel just a little bit convicted. And instead of bending your knee and saying, Yes, Lord, I'm following you at a guilty distance. You attack the very ones that when you're around them, you feel under conviction. You attack them, try to discredit them. And so, the fifth thing is this. The prodigal's discovery, praise God. Verse 17 through 24, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But listen to this. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Listen to me carefully. Let me show you something. Think about this. Everybody listen. When did the father kiss him? Before or after his repentance speech? Before. When did the father forgive him? Before or after he left the farm? He forgave him when he left. That is a picture, a true picture of your heavenly father. He kissed him. The picture of the the hog pen in the field is a picture of our willful sin and rebellion. And he put his arms around him and kissed him in that state, my friend, before he ever did his repentance that he had practiced. (laughs) And then when he started, listen to this. And and so, uh, so he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What did the father do? Yep, that's right. Yep, you sure did. Yep, we're going to have to talk. He didn't do that. It's like he didn't listen to him. He told the service, hey, go get the robe, go get the ring, go get the shoes, go get the fatted calf. It's like he's not even listening to his repentance speech. He kissed him and was so busy blessing him that it was like the repentance speech was almost just something out there somewhere. And so the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, 
Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So, let's notice how the father received him. Number one, he saw him what? A great way off. Listen to me. I believe this parable is talking about a sinning saint, someone who sins after salvation. God's not angry with you because God is not surprised. He already knows what you'll do Thursday of next week. He already knows. You say, Chris, do I have a license to sin? No, you have a motive to live a holy life. He saw him a great way off because he loved him. He wanted fellowship with him. I don't know where all of you are. I'm just now getting to know you. I don't know where you are. If there's a distant view that you have of God to the point, you may even be wondering if you're really saved. I can promise you this on the authority of the Word of God. God is lovingly looking for you. He's watching you. You know what He wants you to do? Come to your senses. Walk back to Him. You say, well, how do I do that? It may be just get up in the morning and have a quiet time, number one. Number two, pray without ceasing. That means walk in an attitude of prayer, as Paul said. Just begin spiritual growth on your own. You don't need a preacher. Just begin. He's in you. The Father is a picture of God. He's looking away. He's hoping every single day, I hope I see His head just bobbing up the hill there. And then when finally one day He says, look at there. I think it's my son. He didn't stand up there like this. Do you know... He took off running to him, And back in those days, wealthy landowners did not run. Why? It was undignified to run. He didn't care how undignified it was. He ran to his son. He ran to meet him. He put his arms around him. He didn't care that he was dirty. He kissed him. And that dirt, my friend, is a picture of our willful sin after we're saved. He kissed him, put his arms around him. He was too busy receiving him to even pay attention to his repentant speech. And then what did he do? What did he put on him? He put a robe on him. You know what that's a picture of? Listen. Do you realize when you became a child of God, Jesus died for you on the cross. He died as you. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. You've been robed with Christ. You've been declared righteous. You've been justified. In other words, how does God see you? Jude 24 says, He sees you faultless, but I'm not faultless. In the eternal realm, the way God sees you, Jesus having died in time, but for all eternity, God sees you past, present, and future faultless because of the precious blood of Christ and the fact that by the Spirit, He's baptized you into Christ. You're robed with Him. He sees you robed inside of Christ Jesus forever. Sealed there until the day of redemption. So he put a robe on him. That's a picture of the believer, 2012, standing inside of Christ, robed with his righteousness. That is a picture of you. In your emotions, you say, that's not true of me. That's how you feel in your emotions. But the Bible says something different about you. No matter what you feel, the Bible says, if you are a child of God, you're declared righteous. Not by your work, not by how much you read your Bible, how much you pray, how much you witness, how much you hand out tracts, how much Bibles. People in this city are Bible studied almost to death, my friend. We just need to get up in the morning, spend time with God. And so, 
put a robe on him. This shows sonship. Sons wore robes. Servants wore tunics. Put shoes on his feet. Servants went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. This showed the son and all who were around that he was coming back, listen, with full privileges as a son. He wasn't coming back as a servant. He wasn't going to pay off what he had done wrong. He was coming back with full privileges. This is a beautiful picture of this great fact. If you are a child of God, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Where do you see that in Scripture, preacher? (laughs) Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You mean, is that the helmet of salvation? Is that the sword? Is that the breastplate? The shoes? Yeah, but it's not you doing these things. It's Christ. You're robed in Him. It's Him as you let the Holy Spirit live through you. Jeremiah 23, 6 says, And this is His name whereby He shall be called the Lord our what? Righteousness. Galatians three twenty seven. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus, put on Christ. And so... What did the father do? He put a ring on his finger. You know what that symbolized? Back in those days, they'd take the ring, had a family uh, signet ring, and if they would uh, push that and press that down into wax, uh, it was like uh, writing a check that we do today. And so he came back, not as a servant. He came back as a son. He came back with all privileges. He didn't lose anything. They put shoes on his feet and they prepared a feast. Why? The father wanted to make it public. He's coming back as my son with full privileges, having lost nothing. The question is this. When did the father forgive the son? When he left. And I want to ask you, do you see the picture here? This is a picture of you and your heavenly father. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and Adam is the federal head of the human race, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, when he sinned, he hid in the the garden. Because he knew. He felt guilty. But then God moved toward Adam in the evening, the cool of the day, And he said, Adam, where are you? God knows everything. God knows where you are in this prodigal state. Whatever hog pen is yours. He's not angry. He's saying, where are you? Come home. Do you realize you can't come home if you're not a son or a daughter in Christ. You can't come back to a place you've never been. (laughs) He's saying, come home. He said, don't stay where you are. Yeah, but Chris, I'm not going to Tunica. Chris, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't dance. I'm not talking about that. Maybe you're prideful. Maybe you're uh, any number of things that are subtle. That is your hog pen. And what God is saying is, I want you to leave that. Know that I'm in you and you're in me. And from now on, just walk and the riches and possessions that you have in Christ Jesus. And remember that your local church, you're all equally one 
in Christ Jesus. Live and move and have your being in Christ Jesus with one another. And there will be harmony. There will be spiritual growth. And you won't be able to hold the people in here. I can tell you that. Because I want to tell you, there's prodigals all around us, in churches, all in the community. And everybody's looking for something to satisfy them. They're going out into the world and now they've been beaten down by the world system, and now they're looking for some place to go to that's not like this, it's like this. Amen? Are you more like the Pharisee, the Sadducees? Or would you say you're more like the Father? I pray that all of us see God as a loving Heavenly Father, knowing that your sins have been forgiven because of the cross, seeing yourself the way God sees you from an eternal perspective, clothed in His righteousness, and that that same God who lives in you, that sees you that way, will cause you by His Spirit to see other people that way, where you'll continue to be patient, loving, and kind, receiving them, starting over again with them, until God calls you home. Amen. You have been listening to the teaching ministry of Chris Hodges with Abiding Above Ministries. If you would like more information, please go to our website at abidingabove.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.